What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, tax cuts 2.0 or a pre-election pipe dream? The White House teasing lower rates a day after the president spoke to the business community. You talked. I did. About you. Yeah? No. <laughs> Senator Mark Warner on regulating big tech. Facebook and Google are not free. They are giant sucking sounds of data from us that they then monetize. Judging companies on something other than the bottom line, an exclusive discussion with billionaire investor Paul Tudor Jones. If we don't tap in the big gorilla, which is businesses, to help us address our social issues bottomless up, we're never going to solve them. And PayPal CEO Dan Schulman. If you ever aspire to be a great company, the number one asset that every company has is its employees. Those stories and much more. Disney, Hong Kong, and what was your major? When's the last time you did some algebra? God forbid I'm helping my nine-year-old kids with their math, and, I, and it's not the easiest. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Wednesday, November 13th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up, tax cuts 2.0 might be a message hitting the campaign trail. President Trump's economic advisors are exploring a tax cut for the middle class. This could potentially bring the tax rate for earners who make about $60,000 a year down to 15%. It's unclear how much a 15% rate would cost the government. Some say it could be in the hundreds of billions of dollars a year range. The official tax rate for median earners today is 22%, not including credits and standard deductions. And White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow making some headlines yesterday on Closing Bell on CNBC, bringing up the prospect of further tax cuts again. The president has asked me to pursue something called Tax Cuts 2.0. My pleasure. I think our tax code could always use uh, plenty of pro-growth reforms. I don't want to be specific uh, on anything, court. It's way too soon for that. Uh, I'm consulting with the leading tax people in the Senate and the House. We're in very preliminary stages right now. Carlos said the proposal uh, wouldn't be completed for many months and would be released as a strategic pro-growth document for the president's re-election campaign. The president brought this up himself yesterday in front of the New York Economic Club, um, the Economic Club of New York, and just said that the proposal's out there. He was very vague about it, right. didn't give specifics on any of it. At the heart of our economic revival is the biggest tax cut and reforms in American history. We provided massive relief for working families, saving $2,000 a year for a typical family of four. To bring jobs back, we lowered our business tax rate from the highest tax rate in the developed world down to a very competitive 
number, not quite the lowest, but getting close. But I'm sure they're watching the campaigning that's taking place on the Democrat side, and, and they're trying to come up with their own ideas. For but this. also made the point several times that if you're a business person, there is no other option. Oh, he's, he said that very plainly. and He said it more crudely than that. He said, they're all crazy, right. so you have no choice but to vote for me. The truth is, look, you have no choice. Because the people we're running against are crazy. They're crazy. You have no choice. You have no other choice. There are countries like that. We're literally there. There's no other choice. Only, and they still do the votes. It's like, yeah. President Thank Xi. You, Putin. President, yeah, President Putin. Um, get 97% or something of the last vote? You didn't go to this uh, shindig? I didn't go. To, were you at the shindig? Yeah. She was on the dais. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm, have a, have I'm a, a board good, member at the... Yes, you are. Did you have a good seat? I did. If you're did on the you, dais, you have uh, a good seat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but from behind. I was three steps to the side. Three steps to the side. Did he... They say hi, Becky. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Right? We talked. You talked? We did. About you. Yeah? No. <laughs> Today was the third day of Hong Kong anti-government protests, and it doesn't look like things are slowing down. Protesters are circulating lists and ratings on social media of what businesses they perceive as being supportive of their cause. And some companies that are accused of cooperating with the police, such as McDonald's, are taking a hit. Here's former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd on Squawk Box today. Do you think that... the the United States has any role to play in what's happening in Hong Kong still? Absolutely not. I mean, you absolutely is, not. No, no. This is spontaneous combustion in Hong Kong, and it comes out of, as we know, the attempt by the Hong Kong government six months ago to bring in a new extradition law. Right. And that just was the straw that broke the camel's back. Now it's a political management problem, as you can see from the Hong Kong government. It's not being politically managed very well. Um, but, but how long does this play out? And to the, the extent it has an impact, does it have any impact on sort of the larger? geopolitical conversation that's happening? Look, I think the one impact that I do see in China, and I was there about two weeks ago, uh, is that there is beginning to be some bleed through into business confidence in China itself, that is, observing what's happening in Hong Kong. Just the beginnings of it. Explain that. What do you mean? Well, when people are looking at, for example, the impact on the financial services industry in Hong Kong, they can't operate effectively because of the shutdown of large slabs of the city, it has a spillover effect in terms of uh, financial uh, sector uh, confidence uh, in, let's call it, the country, the wider right. country's future. But let's not overstate it. I also think there is still negligible prospect that China will send in troops or paramilitaries in order to But none of this, this gives the United States more leverage in the conversation. I mean, to the degree you think that the Chinese... Chinese economy is going to slow, you think it would give the U.S. even more leverage? Well, to, to the extent the Chinese economy slows, which there are a whole bunch of other factors at work on that, yes. But in Beijing's perspective, this is seen through an entirely different lens. This is a local national security right. lens. And over here, you've got the trade negotiations. Right. It's a wrong call from Washington to think that this actually strengthens an American negotiating okay. hand. And day one of the Disney Plus era is now in the books. But it didn't come without some headaches for some customers hoping to stream some of their old favorites or watch some new shows like The Mandalorian. Disney is blaming high demand for technical glitches. Some people say they got a message asking them to exit the app and try again, while others had trouble finding the service in Apple's app store. Now, 
In a statement, uh, Disney says the consumer demand for Disney Plus has exceeded our highest expectations. We are aware of the current issues, current user issues, and are working to swiftly resolve them. Investors appear to welcome that interest, topping uh, Disney's forecast. The stock closing up 1.3% yesterday. And interestingly, I don't know if you saw uh, Rich Greenfield on Twitter last night. He was showing what shows are trending on this. And what this might surprise you. You would have thought Disney, 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 and all of the new stuff. What was the number one trending one? Friends. The Simpsons. 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 The Simpsons. Ah. The well, Simpsons. It's the same story if you hear from Netflix. If you right. the numbers there, the mm. Friends are some Friends. of the biggest ones that they right. have. But um, it was just so interesting because he, he, he screen grabbed the, uh, the screen and you could see the list. Rich. And at the top of the list. Now, then, by, by the way, maybe it's, I don't know, they, I, they're not going to be able to program it towards him just yet. Or to you just yet. You know how Netflix... Oh, yeah, they figure out your age and figure you figuring must, out what you, what you, <laughs> you want. You might want to watch this. But this was on the trending line, so... Well, that's it, it, interesting. I wonder how much they're actually giving away, how much the algorithm is what you'd be interested in, too. But Rich was on yesterday morning with us, and he had watched The Mandalorian yep. before he even came in in the morning. Uh, 37 minutes, and his one takeaway was, okay, you got to wait for the next one. Right. But he watched, and he was there, and he was waiting. It's the last time on a Sunday night that... I mean, I'm always looking for things to watch... And I haven't new episodes of The Simpsons. I don't. I don't watch them. So, do I really need Disney to go watch Simpson reruns? I don't know. For me, it, it's it's different. I think. But you know what Rich told me when I said that yesterday. What? I'm old. Oh yeah, she, he old. did. Yeah. <laughs> You're not, there are entire generations who are now rewatch. As we know, we're rewatching right. Friends or right. rewatching The Simpsons right. or rewatching all of these. These old, I was trying Our to get kids, the last track all the friends because they wanted to watch it before. It got have you chosen to watch The Simpsons at any point in the last five years? No, I have not. But my, but maybe I'd get my kids to watch. I don't know. Maybe my kids would watch. Look, my kids have been watching old the, the entire thing of Full House. Do you, you want your Full kids House? to turn into Bart? No. <laughs> so maybe we won't put you that want, on the list. I've already, unfortunately, turned into Bart. No. No, Homer. Turned into Homer. <laughs> Donuts. Donuts. <laughs> ZipRecruiter Zip took a survey of more than 5,000 college graduates and created a list of the top five most regretted college majors. Coming in at number one, English and foreign languages. Respondents said those uh, degrees were impractical and provided limited job opportunities, rounding out the top five. What? Biological? How could you regret that? And physical science. I'm a molecular biologist, and that's been the, the key to all of my uh, whatever I have achieved here. Anyway, uh, biological and physical sciences. Maybe that's the yep. problem. Uh, education is not uh, big. Social sciences and law. Right. And then finally, uh, communications. The yep. least regretted majors, probably not surprising, computer science. And also, I guess, mathematics. Uh, can be applied. Although I would think biological and physical sciences would, would be good on the list. Yeah. I would well, think engineering would be up with that. I would think that's engineering would be up sciences probably. I guess that's sort of the math because pure mathematics. When's the last time you did some algebra? Oh, God forbid, calculus, where you were. God forbid, I'm helping were, my nine-year-old kids with their math, and I, and it's and not lost. the easiest. And you're lost. I know. It's because it's the new math. I've it's a new math. Having to learn the whole yes, thing. Yes, new math. Your work. Do you know right. about how you divide now? I'm learning this, too. It's a completely different way to divide. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to extrapolate to people that have your political viewpoints, but a lot of times math is not the strong suit for, you know, 
like fifty-two trillion. No, it's for, a different way to do know, it. You free college, free this, free that. Right. Free. right. Math is not a strong suit of a right. lot of people on the left. What about on What about on the right? Well, I we mean, we we know spending more than uh, they have. So <laughs> it's not. I'm not sure the math. It's new math. New right. math for everybody. How about that? Yeah. New math for everybody. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod. Senator Mark Warner on big tech under the microscope. We saw these companies do great innovative things. The Facebooks, the Twitters, the Googles of the world. With all of the communities they were building, there was a dark underbelly that was being created as well. We'll be right back. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Big tech under fire. An entire industry facing threat of increasing regulation from Washington. One member of Congress leading the charge to limit the dominance of Silicon Valley companies is Senator Mark Warner. The Democrat from Virginia had a career in technology before politics. He was a venture capitalist and early investor in telecom company Nextel. Remember those? As vice chair of the Senate Committee on Intelligence, Warner also authored a white paper last year proposing potential legislation to curb tech's growing power. Here's Senator Mark Warner on Squawk Box today. I think that for a decade plus, we had this almost over-the-top techno-optimism. It was reflected in both political parties, you know, Republicans generally pro-business, the Obama administration infatuated with Silicon Valley. We saw these companies do great innovative things, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Googles of the world. And we kind of refused to acknowledge with all of the communities they were building, there was a dark underbelly that was being created as well. An underbelly that allowed a country like Russia to come in and completely catch the companies and our government off guard and interfere in our elections using social media trolls, bots, and a series of fake accounts. Uh, we've seen a, an accumulation of power in companies that I think we've frankly not seen since the beginning of the 20th century when Teddy Roosevelt came in with the trust busters. And we're three and a half years later, and Congress has still not acted from the most basic things like having the same kind of political disclosure for political ads on social media that would take place on CNBC or some basic rules of the road around privacy or other pro-competitive aspects uh, in this industry. And America's failure to act has meant that we've ceded that leadership, in many cases to Europe on privacy, to the Brits and Australians on content, to individual states like California. And I don't think that is a good scenario uh, for our country. And I candidly think um, that even the social media companies realize that they're kind of playing rope-a-dope with Congress and playing on Congress's inefficiency and not acting is in the end going to come back and bite them because when we do set rules of the road, they'll be, I think, a bit tougher. Maybe playing on Congress's inability to act, but also playing on the idea that the right and the left can't agree on just about anything right now. But this is an area, on, for the most part, I've got a series of bipartisan bills I laid out over a year ago, a white paper with 20-plus ideas. 
Every piece of legislation I've introduced in this realm has been bipartisan. I actually think this may be that sweet spot where there may be that ability to not make this a Democrat, Republican, or left-right, but a future past kind of issue. So very briefly, the bills that I've laid out, a couple of them, you know, one would be, let's go ahead and have the same disclosure requirements for political ads that on social media. like it would be very common sense. Uh, common sense. I think it, just catching up technology, uh, catching up with technology. It's moving I think it would get 80 votes. Part. I think it would get 80 votes. Another bill I've got, because I think we need more transparency, this one with Josh Hawley, uh, Republican from Missouri, says we ought to know what data is being collected about us. And we ought to know what it's worth so that we so consumers start to understand, you know, Facebook and Google are not free. They are giant sucking sounds of data from us that they then monetize. Nothing wrong with that. But consumers ought to know what the value of what they're giving up. I agree Second, with that 100 percent. And let's just take a look at something we saw in the news this week. That would be Google and it's uh, it's deal. It's partnered up with Ascension, which is a hospital chain. It's got, I think, 150 Google employees who have seen information on patients, all kinds of sensitive information for tens of millions of patients who have come through those doors. It's not a violation of HIPAA because they're working on tools to try and make it more accessible for doctors. However, no patients know about this or knew about it until The Wall Street Journal reported about it. None of the doctors knew about this. And that seems like an area that is ripe for this. How quickly can you enact? If you've got bipartisan support, how quickly can you do something about this? Well, you know, logical things... a newsflash, but logical things that are common sense don't always happen in Washington. But the Google case was a perfect example. We've got two competing tensions. We all know the power of data to bring about health care reform is really important. Mm-hmm. The whole basis of electronic and medical records. But this the doesn't fact have to be done all, without anybody's consent. But, but that's your point. That's exactly the point. Should it be done without consent? And should it be done where we're frankly empowering one of the already dominant platforms without any competition. That brings me to another piece of legislation I've got that says, shouldn't we be able, if we're tired of how we're treated on Google or Facebook, be easily able to move our data, make it portable to a new site, so you can move all your data plus your cat videos to Nuco if you get tired of how you're treated. That was a similar model, I was a telecom guy, that we had in the telephony industry, industry where we had number portability. And if you have data portability, you've got to still have interoperability so you can still talk to the uh, the folks who remain on Facebook. Again, think about the different email systems, how they talk to each other. And then we've introduced another concept that says, because chances are these forms of what you're giving away are never going to be understandable in English, let's introduce a, a concept of delegability. So if you want to delegate, in, in a sense, to a third party, the ability to be guardians of your data, you ought to be able to do that. And then we've got other legislation that starts to look at basic notions of shouldn't we have a right to know when we're being communicated with on these platforms? Are we talking to a human being or a bot? Now, that's easy to say. It's a little harder technically to do, and there's nothing per se wrong with a bot. But if we want to make consumers informed, they ought to have that tool as well. Hey, Senator, do you have any issues uh, with this other, the separate report that Google is getting into the, the banking business, offering checking? That's, that's going to take place apparently next year as part of a, a project with Citigroup? I ask well, because obviously when Libra was announced by Facebook, uh, Washington went wild. Well, I, have, I think, again, we're going to see greater use of data in all sectors, including finance. I'm concerned when we've got, whether it's Libra or whether it's the Google proposal around banking, where we have these giant tech platforms 
entering into new fields before there's some regulatory rules of the road. Because once they get in, the ability to extract them out is going to be virtually impossible. Uh, and I, again, I think I'm a tech guy. I'm all for innovation. Um, I would rather see new entrants into the market you know what, take do, on these new fields. I guess fields. the big question is, do you want a Facebook and a Google even in these, in these businesses? This becomes a sort of larger either antitrust yeah. question or just size and scale question. If and we whether the network effects are beneficial or harmful. I think if we could have rolled back some of the Facebook acquisitions on you know, Instagram and WhatsApp, if we could have you know, take a good look at before Google uh, acquires Fitbit, I think we will be, uh, I think there ought to be very strict scrutiny. I'm not willing to say they all ought to be out or we, they all right. ought to be broken up. Yet, you would block but the Fitbit deal? I think the Fitbit deal needs a, a high, high level of scrutiny if we're going to have Google take on, again, all this personal data in a way that these plat- the large platform companies have not had a very good record of protecting the data or being transparent with consumers. And I still think, you know, again, I can't totally blame them because if Congress doesn't set rules of the road, asking them to self-regulate is frankly just not a, a viable option. Senator Warner, thank you. It's good to see you, and we Thanks. hope you come back soon. Thanks so much. T's next. Is the guest in the seat? We're going to press the pause button. We're going to continue this in just a moment with Paul Tudor Jones and Dan Schulman. Dan, while we're in the green room, went through with me what they did two weeks ago. Oh, my Lord. If every CEO did what PayPal did. Great tease, by the way. We'll find out what uh, you told him in the green room. Amazing. Right after the break. Amazing. I know. How about that? People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Stand by Pro A. You're listening to Squawk Box. Play Pro A. Joe Kernan. Yes, welcome Andrew. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Uh, I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin, U.S. Equity Futures. Our special guest today on Squawk Box was billionaire hedge funder Paul Tudor Jones. Alongside Tudor Investment Corp. with about $8 billion in assets under management, Jones founded Just Capital, a nonprofit that aims to align Wall Street's priorities with the needs of the public, investing in workers, treating customers well, considering environmental impact, and yes, serving shareholders. That notion of the responsibility of corporate America has been a huge topic of conversation on Squawk Box in recent months. Paul Tudor Jones and PayPal CEO Dan Schulman joined the show exclusively today. Here on the podcast, we've teased out a special section focusing on what makes a company just. 
Just Capital and Forbes publishing their third annual list of the Just 100 companies. That list ranks how the largest publicly traded companies perform on issues such as worker pay, board diversity, and environmental impact this morning. Just Capital and PayPal, which ranks number eight on the list, are hosting their first ever quarterly Just Conference call. It allows investors and the public to ask CEOs about important non-financial metrics. And joining us right now are the hosts of that call. Paul Tudor Jones is here, co-founder and chairman of Just Capital. He's also, of course, the founder and chief investment officer of Tudor Investment Corporation, which has close to $8 billion in assets under management, also the founder of Robinhood, we should say. Uh, and uh, Dan Schulman is here, the CEO of PayPal. You guys just announced the new uh, top 100 companies using the metrics. So I want to talk about these metrics. Um, as we said, Dan's company is number eight on the list. But there is a new list out, Microsoft's that we should say at the top of that list. Um, what changed in, in terms of how the metrics played out? Because you do a poll, which is how you, which is how you measure and judge these companies. Every year, uh, we poll the American public, and we ask them what are the metrics that are most important to them to determine a company's just, justness. And uh, they've been, I think, fairly static. We've been doing this for five years. We poll close to 100,000 Americans. And the number one single most important component all or, or, or area is around workers. That's 34% of our rankings or around workers. Uh, and, number, was, and it's been, workers has been the top? Always. 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 So fair pay, okay. living wage, those are the top two. Interestingly, um, the great story about what the American public believes in justness is that if you look at the top 100 companies, if you just listen to what the American right. public says, the ROE of the top 100 on average, is 6.5% higher than the rest of the 1,000 that we rank. So focusing on workers, focusing on paying a living wage, paying a fair wage, benefits, making a socially beneficial product at a reasonable quality, a reasonable price, treating your customers like, like, like kings and queens, that's actually 60% of the whole uh, of the whole equation so it's really a good formula for business and those companies that do that that follow the will of the american public you argue they outperform they absolutely smoke them on roe the rest of the companies and then their stock price our top 500 out of the thousand companies we rank have i think in the last two and a half years outperformed in stock price, uh, the bottom 500 by about 5 or 6%. So there's a great story that the pie gets bigger by focusing on stakeholder metrics. But, Dan, here's a question for you. You get, you get asked lots of questions by analysts yep. every quarter about yep. your earnings, what's going to happen next. How often do people say, how much you, how much you paying your workers? How often do analysts ask that? That's my question for you. How often do, does the investor class ask you any questions about the things that he is just talking about here? I think ESG uh, is starting to rise in importance in general. But do I ever get a question on how much do we pay our workers? I would say pretty much never. But I will say this, Andrew. Like, this shouldn't come as a surprise. No, uh, what, it's common sense. What right? Paul is saying, right? I mean, if you ever aspire to be a great company, the number one asset that every company has is its employees. Right. 
And if they're inspired and passionate, they're going to serve customers better. And then your so customers this, will be happy. And the customers will be happy. And, and, and I'm wondering how much of this has already been done. I mean, we didn't just start having just companies in 2019. We had some damn good companies before the turn of the century, as far as, as I can remember. They weren't all unjust prior to that. So you talk about a thousand companies. What are there quintiles? What does the bottom 20 percent, the most unjust companies are there well, look, really unjust look, companies uber okay I ask is, that, is that uber one of is in the bottom 10 <clears> percent <throat> can't, can't this be the more just instead of just the just versus unjust aren't aren't all comp- are, are there really egregious bad actors in the bottom 20 percent well i've always thought of our rankings as a competition for goodness well, so, are there? Okay, so, did it really so, need to be done? Though there's really bad actors that are unjust companies that are still succeeding. And and if all our goal mm-hmm. is to do is to put the rankings out there in accordance with what the American public says. Right. So we don't editorialize. At Just Capital, we're nothing more than journalists, just like you are. What we do is highlight where. The things that the American public think are important can be added to society. And so Dan, while we're in the green room, went through with me what they did two weeks ago. Oh, my Lord, if every CEO did what PayPal did two weeks ago, I can promise you that so many of the social issues that we're dealing with today would be solved if we could get companies to refocus the way that Dan has. Just one metaphor. I was, from ever since I was a kid, I used to always shoot my shotgun with one eye closed like this. And then when I was 50, the shooting instructor said to me, you're going to shoot a lot better if you open both eyes. And I said, I'm 50 years old. Hell, I can't change. I've been shooting that way my entire life. It took me a week, but as soon as I started, after shooting with both eyes open, my my trap and skeet scores went up by about 20% by opening both eyes. That's where we're going. And the new way... Did he just athletes. lose you completely with the shooting stuff, yeah, Andrew? I mean, I think he just lost Andrew completely with the green. You're talking about guns. eyes open. Right. This is how we're... Man, oh, man. You're in the bottom 20%. 16... We have... We have... We have companies, 16 trillion is the private sector. The government's 4 trillion. Philanthropies, 400 billion. If we don't tap in the big gorilla, which is businesses, to help us address our social issues, bottom us up, we're never going to solve them. What did you go back and do? Yeah. So, you know, our mission at PayPal is to democratize access to financial services, which is a fancy way of saying that managing and moving money should be a right for every citizen, not just a privilege for the affluent. But then we thought to ourselves, like, if that's what we're talking about externally, are we really practicing that internally as well, inside our company? And, you know, it's something like two-thirds of all Americans struggle to make ends meet at the end of the month. They live paycheck to paycheck, right? They live paycheck to paycheck. They've got a lot of financial anxiety. It impacts productivity at work. And so we did a study of all of our workers. And what we found is our entry-level uh, positions are hourly workers, even though we pay at or above market in every single market, about 60% are struggling to make ends meet each and every uh, month. We thought to ourselves, well, 
in some way, then, you know, there's something wrong with the market because we're paying at, at or above, but still a lot of our workers are struggling to make ends meet. And we thought to ourselves, if the most important asset we have is our employees, then we need to do something about that. And so we did a very comprehensive program uh, to look at what their net disposable income is and what we could do about that. What did you do? Okay, so first thing we did is we had a measure, kind of really why was it that people were struggling. And what we found is if you look location by location, and you have to do this by geography, the net disposable income, how much people have after they do their basic essentials like rent, transportation, transportation rent, child care. you know, medical expense, child care, that kind of thing, for us was like call it five to six percent. So people are living at the edge. And what we said is we need to do four things, and I'll, I'll talk about them very quickly. One was we needed to raise basic wages. Um, second thing is we wanted to look at benefit costs, because that's a huge, almost like a regressive tax. You pay the same for that as somebody who's an hourly worker. It costs them, obviously, as a percentage of their income, a lot more. So we cut the cost of benefits for those folks by an average of 58%, 58% reduction in the cost of benefits for the, that portion of the population. The other thing we did is we made every single employee inside uh, PayPal uh, a shareholder of the company. So we gave them all a one-time equity grant. Um, and we made all of them eligible for equity going forward. Uh-oh, if the shares then, do well, they'll do well. Then you're no, back to no, shareholder no, value. No, I'm going to talk about that because <laughs> I really believe that. But it'd be nice if, like, it went, if they owned and then they participated. In why? It. Because our success as a company should be shared. And that means that right. every employee tries to do the right thing on every interaction with customers. All right. uh, and I really believe that. Like, right. There's one yeah. other thing we did. Joe, let me just get okay. to this. Is we surrounded all of this with an educational program around financial health and financial wellness. Because people are getting more money, they need to know how to manage it, how to save it, that kind of thing. So, so you want uh, just someone wrote it, Gerber Baby Food, father worked there, 1920s and 30s. Dan Gerber always said, take care of employees, treat them like family, they'll work hard, they'll make themselves happy customers. It's, a, it's to my point, not a new idea, but a great idea. And, and yeah. I, I even wonder whether the brand name companies that are in our nomenclature that we always talk about, by definition, weren't they just all along? That's why we know who they are. That's why they've been so successful. That's why they're leaders in the world of, of, of doing what they do. Weren't they just from day one? I, I won't comment on whether companies are just or not. They're just I, becoming I just know. now? You know, let me just point out this, Joe, and this is really important. Two-thirds of Americans struggle to make ends meet at the right. end of the month. I got that. Two thirds. Okay. So, who employs all of those American workers? All of us who run big businesses. And I think it's incumbent upon us to look at, like, do they have enough net disposable income, a living wage, as other right. people talk about, to make ends meet? Because I right. think if you want to have passionate employees, right. They need to be financially secure. But we have the oh, highest standard of living yeah. in the world, and yeah. we want to keep the highest standard of living in the world Absolutely. and not become less competitive oh, with real, real the real Business Roundtable comes out with their statement, which is very much in line with, with Just. However, the Treasury Secretary of the United States said that if he was part of the Business Roundtable, he would not have signed it. And others. And others. Steve Schwartzman, who's part of it, Does said he wouldn't it? have signed it or, and didn't, didn't sign it. it. What do you make of that? Well, I think we're in the, the three stages of truth. Uh, and right now... 
we're probably in that second phase where a lot of times uh, it's rejected or opposed. But we're going to end up going back to what I think are old school values, right? Up until 1970, when Milton Friedman famously said the purpose of a corporation is to maximize profits, which was then canonized in 1997 by the Business Roundtable that also says the primary purpose of a company is to serve its shareholders. That all changed in August when the Business Roundtable came out and pretty much adopted just, just stakeholder right. capitalism and said, no, we need to treat each stakeholder equally. And that's so important. I'm so optimistic about the future of this country because we're going to go back to old school values. Gentlemen, and that, man, that man's the living embodiment of it. I think it's really important to understand that uh, these are not two incongruent statements that by doing right for more constituencies, uh, including your employees, and doing right by shareholders are two opposite thoughts. I actually think, Joe, you said this, they go hand in hand. If you do right by multiple constituencies, you will deliver more value for right. shareholders. And if you do wrong, your, sh- your shares aren't going up. That's you right. Come back to hunt. It's That's all exactly karma. Right. Instant karma is going to get you. But, but thank, thank you both. So thank you for having us. Thank you so uh, much. Morning. Thank you. Been wonderful. Can I ask you about live hogs on that call? <laughs> are we long? What are we doing? <laughs> Not trading those. That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, entrepreneur and TV chef Lydia Bastianich on what brings people to the table. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. I've already, unfortunately, turned into Bart. No. No, Homer. Turned into Homer. (laughs) To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.